Kia ora, BBC whānau. Yeah. So good to see all your beautiful faces here. All the whānau and friends that have come out feel very um, blessed to have you all here tonight. Um, if you're new here at BBC um, and you don't know me, my full name is Manawa Motirangi Virko. But due to the oppressive constraints of colonisation, um, my name is known as Mana. No, just kidding. Manawa Motirangi's full name. I'll speak a little bit more about who I am shortly, but I'm absolutely stoked to be with you sharing tonight. If you've been check, tracking along with us here on a Sunday night, you would hopefully know by now that we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount of Beatitudes by no one else than himself, Jesus Christ. So firstly, I've got to say, how flippin' good has Liam, Crystal and Sam been so far? Give them a round of applause. I've enjoyed the way that they've just so passionately, so articulately and unashamedly shared the scripture thus far in the Sikh first series on the Sermon of the Mount. I've had to watch both Crystals and Sam's um, abroad, um, but I'll get to that in a short minute. Um, if you're just joining us here on, our, on the series, we've been going through what historians and theologians believe to be the most famous sermon ever, which was preached by Jesus Christ himself on the Mount of Beatitudes, situated in northern Israel, Google tells me, on what is called the Kurzim Plateau, I think, for those of you that dig a little bit of geography. Um, Liam shared the calling that Jesus gives us in Matthew 5 to be a people of salt and light and what that looks like in today's day and age. Crystal continued with the beautiful power, um, the beauty and the power of the Lord's Prayer and how that should affect our own prayer lives. And my boy, Sammy G, um, shared with us about the Christian heart and where our priorities lie in respect of our treasures on earth and in heaven. And tonight, I have the pleasure and the honour to be talking about worry. And my estimation is that every single one of us, including myself, experience worry at some capacity in our everyday life. I can still remember seeing that article of COVID-19's first ever case to reach New Zealand and that deep out of it feeling that we all got that went through our bodies. And if only we knew the lockdowns, the restrictions, the job losses, uh, mandates, jabs, we're not going to go into that tonight, um, the economic crises and just to name a few. Now is a time more than ever where we feel this urge inside us to worry. So before we go any further, let's see what the living Word of God had to say about this topic, carrying on from Sam last week, Matthew 6. So if you've got your Bibles, pull them out. Uh, Matt Chandler, pastor I like, says, if you don't have a Bible, just pretend to reach under your seat, and that'll do the same trick. So Matthew 6, uh, verse 25, follow along with us. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not reap or sow, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, where are we up to? That's the whole thing? Oh, yeah. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today 
and as tomorrow is sown into the fire, how will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Please join me as I pray, Father. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your people and that we can join in fellowship, that we can join in, in uh, song and in um, teaching tonight. And I just pray, Heavenly Father, that as we commune tonight and as we learn more about you and who you are, um, would we grow in our understanding, but also would you just open up our hearts, open up our eyes to see, um, open up our ears to hear what you're wanting us to hear tonight. And your mighty and your precious and your glorious name we pray. Amen. So, Kōwaiō, who am I? I was born and bred in the beautiful Te Rotorua Nui a Kahumata Momoi, which is pictured here, or commonly known as Rotorua. Everyone here in BBC knows this place as the promised land, uh, the land of milk and honey, or just heaven on earth for short sometimes. But that's just what I heard through the vines. Uh, I have three older sisters and one older brother, and a super mum who played the role of mum and dad since the tragic and sudden passing of my dad in November of 2009. I have a stunning girlfriend named Neve, and we have just celebrated... We've just celebrated our seventh month anniversary not too long ago, and we're still wondering when the honeymoon period of our relationship will end. I asked Pastor Rob about this, and he says that him and Debs are still in it, so uh, it mustn't end. Nikki B's looking at me like, yeah, that's true, that's true. Uh, I've been a police officer or social worker for the last couple of years. Uh, next year, I hope to start my law degree and um, hopefully complete that in the next couple of years. I've uh, been attending this whānau, this Bethlehem Baptist Church, since about the middle of 2018, going into 20, 2019. I initially started coming over to BBC uh, because of youth group back when it was called Wired Youth um, to follow my now very good friend, Michael Brown. Um, him and Bailey have been a big part of my life ever since um, coming out of intermediate as a little scrub, um, coming into high school. So, yeah, they're valuable, valuable friends. Um, so now that you know a little bit about me, uh, I hope you'll join me in a bit of vulnerability as we share these scriptures. I pray and I hope that this passage rolls you in the same way that it rolled me and is continuing to roll me. Uh, the scriptures often use the word worry interchangeably with the word anxiousness in this passage. Uh, in the ESV version, it says, do not be anxious about your life, which tells me that anxiousness and worry are two and the same. Google, again, further backs us up, defining worry as to feel or cause to feel anxious or troubled about actual or potential problems. Some examples of these may be that final assignment that you're delaying because you think some assignment fairy may come along and get it done for you, or a work situation, a situation that's way over your head um, and people are looking to you for the answers but you just don't know what to do. Or for potential problems, you could be thinking about the future as this year comes to a close and the big life decisions that we're faced with every year, apparently. Um, or maybe there's not even a big decision to make, but you still feel some sort of stress and uneasiness over your life right now. 
We all experience it. In my own life, recently, as I said, my beautiful girlfriend, she graduated her university degree. Yeah, come on, give her a whoop, whoop. She, let's go. Um, they all, her and her friends decided they graduated. They started to go on a trip to Fiji. So naturally, the boyfriends, Aaron and I, tagged along for the trip. Um, like, who doesn't want a trip, tropical island, eh? Like, come on, let's go. So there I was in a hammock on the beach reading my Jack Reacher Take Me book, which is an incredible book if you dig a bit of thriller. And I still found myself having some things to worry about, such as, should I go for a swim in the pool or go for a swim in the ocean? Should I snorkel today in these beautiful clear waters or should I go for a ride on the horse on the beach, which we did that too, that was pretty wild. A lot skinnier, the horses over there, I must add. Should I have a Courage chicken burger for lunch or just a standard uh, cheeseburger? These are all the life decisions that our generation's troubled with. And so while these decisions didn't have any real impact on my life, I still found myself getting worried about it. On a slightly bigger scale, my bestie boo, Jacob, and I have been currently going through the process of purchasing a house. And if any one of you homeowners had told me the amount of forms and papers um, that were required to fill out and the amount of pure admin that buying a house entails, I would have said a fat if uh, PHAT know that a long time ago. But we're in too deep at this point, and I can tell you that that temptation to worry um, is very great at the moment. Worrying for the housing market, if it collapses, interest rates, all the rest of it. So where am I going with this? My point is, is that worrying is the human condition. N.T. Wright puts it this way. Oh, actually, I had a photo to show you of Fiji. It's pretty pixelated. I promise it looked nicer when we were there. That's one of the islands we're on. Um, so my point, obviously, is that worrying is a human condition. He says, N.T. Wright puts it this way, some people are so hooked on worrying that they, if they have nothing to worry about, they worry they've forgotten something. So if worrying was a problem that Jesus was preaching to all those years ago, and then it is still a problem today, then surely it just goes beyond a generational human condition. It's our human condition. So coming back to the living word, Jesus continues his sermon by saying in Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? We see right here that Jesus is coming back to the standard for which we are to revert back to. He's laying down some common things that we already know that we worry about, which is ourselves. What we eat, what we drink. I feel that on another level. Uh, Jesus poses this rhetorical question about the value of our life in comparison to the material things such as food and clothes. And let's not just brush past this point. If you're a notes person like I am, as in you like taking notes, you'll be jolly to hear that I'm one of those people as well, which means I'll try to keep my slides to a minimum, uh, short and concise and key information. I hope there's some key information. And I'll give you plenty of time to write down what you got, so I got your back. Um, going to verse... Oh, i just skip it, Lokes, sorry. Um, go back to verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not reap or sow or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? There's that question again. The simple yet important analogy 
that Jesus uses about our value to God over the birds of the air and the relationship which God has to them. Once again, ending in a rhetorical question of our value, our value to the Heavenly Father. I love that word there, the Heavenly Father, so intimate. Throughout this whole series, there's been one high key and strong point that Jesus has been trying to get across, that, and which is our worth to him in relationship. He was repeating these themes to his disciples, which is now also us, the ones in this room who call ourselves followers of Jesus, that our relationship to him and knowing our identity in Christ is so important. I like what Liam pointed out at week, week one when speaking in Matthew 5.13, pointing out that Jesus starts this very sermon with an identity check, not a list of do's and don'ts. And what Jesus is doing in this section is very similar. Verse 27 goes on to say, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Obviously, the answer to that is another P-H-A-T, fat no. There is nothing that we can do to to, uh, add values to our lives by worrying about them. Coming back to verse 28 says, And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field. See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is sown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? This analogy, once again, show us how our worth in comparison to the flowers of the field And if we weren't sure about what Jesus was saying, surely by now we can get a little bit of an understanding as he repeats the point here. And whether your stance on gambling or not, um, we're going to get into it, but but the boys, we enjoy a bit of uh, poker, friendly poker from time to time. Um, And there's a term in poker which Sam loves to, to use all the time, which is called the nuts of the cards, which means like the best cards or... The, the nicest cards, I think. The best hand, eh, Sam? Where are you? He reads this green book about poker, apparently. That's really good. Um, and so this, is, to this, to me, is the nuts of the passage. So buckle up. 31 says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father, there's that word again, knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So being the law enforcer that I apparently am, um, I thought I'd start off with what is Jesus not saying, in my, in my um, opinion. What is he not saying in this passage? And there's four main parts to what he's not saying. He's not saying, he's not forbidding forethought or planning. Those are all good things. What he is condemning is the anxiousness or the worry that comes with those forethoughts or planning. Sam Storms puts it this way, that prudent provision for the future is right. So that's not what he's saying. Number two, he's not saying to be lazy or slothful in our life with the things that we are given. He's putting these things into perspective of how we should be um, I like 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Isn't that wild? 
the creator of the universe, he cares for you. Number three, he's also not saying that is some mathematical equation or trade deal that x equals pi plus squared foot equals nine or something. As you can tell, I dropped out of maths way too soon. Um, but he is not saying that once you immediately seek him and his righteousness, then, every, then you wake up in a mansion with a banquet breakfast for lunch and dinner, covered in Louis Vuitton and Versace shades. It's definitely not what he's saying. Number four, he's not saying that we shouldn't wear clothes. People, definitely keep those on. This isn't a David singing moment. Um, please keep them on for the sake of everyone else. Please and thank you. Nice and dry, so I'll leave those note takers to take some notes here. So then, what is he saying? He's saying to me to trust God to trust the heavenly Father, that he is the provisional God who he says he is, that he is the same God who led the Israelites out of slavery, that he is the same God who formed you in your mother's womb, the same God who leaves the 99 to chase after the one. And not that the disciples of the crowd there knew that at the time, but the same God who sent his one and only son down to die, a horrific humiliating death for an undeserving people, which is us. Jesus laid it all down on the cross to defeat and destroy the enemy. And if that isn't worthy of your trust, I'm not sure there's anything else that will be. Francis Chan puts it this way, that worry implies that we don't quite trust God is big enough, powerful enough, or loving enough to take care of what's happening in our lives. I'll say that again. Worry implies that we don't quite trust God is big enough, powerful enough, or loving enough to take care of what's happening in our lives. Let's give those note takers another second. That one's a goodie. <laughs> so coming back to the nuts of the passage, from verse 33 it says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I think, I was thinking about this word, don't worry. And I was thinking in comparison to, and all the husbands and the boyfriends and stuff in the room will probably get this. It's pretty similar to saying in the middle of an argument, relax or chill out. <laughs> yeah, look, oh no, that's a, look, mom knows. No, that's a big no-no, don't say that. Um, it's just sometimes unhelpful if we don't understand the context in which Jesus is saying to them. So we need to really understand the context as our, um, my, my mates have explained early on. So what does it look like to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? One practice which God has really been challenging me to do um, in order to combat worry and anxious with is the practice of Sabbath. Sabbath is a practice that God first modelled in the creation story. God modelled on the seventh day in Genesis 2, where it says God rested when he ended his work. In Exodus, we see God giving those lights the same reminder and reference to when God rested on the seventh day, when the Israelites to observe this as a holy day of rest. Now, in the time of Jesus, this, this day of the Sabbath was still being observed by the Jewish people, I think. However, it had become mostly a very religious do's and don'ts 
as opposed to a day that was for rest for their souls. Jesus often challenged the Pharisees on this day, performing healings, miracles, to show that it ought not to be some religious do's and don'ts, instead a practice that God gifted us to be filled up and to be in relationship with him. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God created this day for us to rest, to delight, and to worship him. The word Shabbat in Hebrew means to rest or to be completed. I love that, to be completed. Personally, I'm pretty average at this. Um, I've been on a journey the last couple of years to try and implement this practice in my own life um, for, this, for the sake of my relationship with the Lord. I try to turn my phone off for the whole day. I know some of you gasping oh, the whole day. Um, spend the day at like a bit of a slower pace. Read, eat some yummy treats, spend time with loved ones, play instruments, and um, just really sit in the person that God has created me to be. Now, I know for the shift workers or the parents or young kids or the parents with young kids or hectic lifestyles, this day sounds like a hippie tree-hugging day or just outright unrealistic. I work on like a 10-day roster, six six and a half days-ish off, three three and a half days, oh, sorry, six and a half days on, three and a half days off. I wish the other way around. Hey, so I understand or at least can see how this may seem unattainable. My Shabbat day is usually the last day before I go back on, so oh, that's how I try anyways. It's been a toil and a wrestle and a grind to just sit and rest in the peace of God and to feel and explore the emotions that are going on inside. I've not mastered this, and I'm sure as heck not close to mastering it. I'm super inconsistent with it, often making up excuses as to why I can't. But when I do, it gives such a perspective to the size of my problems and my worries in comparison to the largeness of the God we serve. It shows me that while he is so massive and powerful, that he is also intimate enough to know the number of hairs on our head. Someone who is very inspiring to me in this spiritual practice is a guy named John Mark Comer. A lot of you probably know. If you want to hear some solid teaching, not rock solid, but solid teaching around this practice, He has a non-for-profit called Practicing the Way, where you can jump online and follow some steps about it, and it's all free and all that sort of stuff. But one thing John Mark Comer um, does on the Sabbath day, which I found really fascinating, is not only uh, do they not buy or sell anything on their day, the whole family, they don't speak uh, about anything sad or complain about anything on that day. I thought that was quite interesting. In one of his podcasts, he spoke about how someone in their family will go to say something and then will stop halfway through. Um, because they don't want to say something sad. I thought it was quite out of it, but funny. Um, but his reasoning behind it is because it's a day for the celebration of the things that God is doing and has done. And I really like that. He says, something happens halfway through the day, something hard to put language to. It's like my soul catches up to my body, unquote. So whatever it may look like for you, this little practice of Sabbath, well, or any other practices that Jesus um, and the word uh, shows us, whatever it may look like to you, don't make it a list of do's and don'ts, but a practice to grow in strength for trust in the Lord, trust in Him to combat anxiousness and worry and to grow in relationship with Him. Because that's what He died for, right? Relationship with Him. I wanted to end here, um, land the plane here, 
that um, hopefully some powerful, with, with some powerful words that Jesus was preaching later on in the book in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, he's preaching to the Galilee, uh, people of Galilee and he says in verse 28, Come to me, all, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Where are we? This is sick. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, will this be the prayer of our people? As we battle and as we wrestle through the worries and the anxiety, um, anxieties that this world throws at us, my mum likes to say anything longer than 20 minutes, people will probably stop listening. So I'm probably going to wrap it up there. If we could just stand um, and pray, would this be our prayer tonight? Heavenly Father, we really thank you, God. We thank you um, that while the worries and anxieties of this world are real and they exist and they are hard, Lord, we have a God who's already won the battle. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, um, that you open up our hearts and you continually open up um, our minds to understand Scripture. And so we pray right now, Lord, that you would just minister to our hearts, that we would come to you and that we would remember as verse 30 says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, we, we just thank you for your power. We thank you for how massive you are. And we ask, Lord, that if, if we're struggling with a trust in you, that we would lean into you for strength to trust you, God. We pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen.